All right, good to see everybody today. I, I got a call this morning from uh, just, yeah, it's on. I got a call this morning from Dave Peterson. Actually, it was a FaceTime, but um, he called me and said that things were going really, really well there, and and shared a little bit about what what God's doing there. And, and he and Trudy are coming back in in a few days. Dave will be back on the twenty uh, second. But continue to be in prayer for them, and they want to send thanks to our church for everything that we've done for praying for them and giving and uh, so forth. This morning, we're going to begin a new series, and in that series, <clears throat> we're going to be talking about community or, or um, being a part of, of a group, of, of a church, what that looks like, what, what it boils down to, some very basic things. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we see that, and, and so as, as we do that every week, we're gonna, our small groups are all going to have the same material, so we're putting that together, and it goes with the sermon, so there's a discussion guide that goes with this one for all of our small groups. If you're not in a small group, I want to encourage you to try one out for the next six weeks, so there are several of them. They're listed on the board out there on the connect wall right over there, so you can look and, and join one. They meet different nights of the week, different groups do it at different times, so there'll be something that will fit your schedule. So I want to encourage you to do that and, and give it a shot over the next six weeks as, as we journey through that. And look, what does it mean to be a church and how do we relate to one another as, as um, a part of a body in the body of Christ? So in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, it says, And they, and this is the early church in, in Jerusalem, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. So this is, <clears throat> this is what the early church looked like in Jerusalem. Right after Pentecost, Jesus is crucified. He rises from the grave. He conquers sin and death. The gospel is preached in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles and those gathered in the upper room. They come, and then on the day of Pentecost, when all the people have come in from all over the different regions of the world to worship their different uh, people coming in, Jewish people coming to worship from that spoke different languages and so forth. Peter shares the gospel message. And, and then after that, it says that there were about 5,000 came to Christ that day. And then it says daily there were people being added to their numbers. So these, this is the small group. This is the, the very, very beginning of what we know as the church. So I want to look at four things in this passage. And basically they're all in verse 42. But um, there are four things, four ways that we build Christian community, four ways that we build and grow our lives together, four ways that we serve and are a part of a body. And, and so the first one is learning. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the apostles' teaching. So that's the first thing that's mentioned is that they regularly came together and devoted themselves to the teaching of the, the apostles, and, and that's the disciples of Jesus, the, the twelve. And, and so, well, Judas isn't in the group, but, uh, <clears throat> but, but they've replaced him. So 
just to be clear so somebody doesn't go, hey, you forgot about Judas not being in there. But, um, but anyway, so, so you've got the, the apostles coming in and, and they're teaching and they're eager to learn about Jesus. These people want to learn. They're Jewish people. They've come in and they are wanting to learn about the Messiah. They have all of the background. They have a foundation. They have an amazing foundation of Old Testament scriptures, which in there leads everything right in to Jesus. So they came in and they began to learn. So this is basic discipleship. It's basic understanding. And, and what would be included in that was the things that Jesus taught the apostles over the three years that he walked on earth with them. Um, the apostles came in and they said, look, this is what we learned while we walked with Jesus. This is how he explained the prophecies of the Old Testament and how they relate to who we are today and how God has worked with our people throughout the centuries. And this is the faithfulness of God, the promises of God, and so forth. So <clears throat> as you come in, it, it eventually becomes what we know as the Gospels, what we know as the Gospel message. So they begin to share that. And, and then it, as we come in there also, we, we begin to see the, um, the teachings that, that will form the basis of the entire New Testament as they come in and they're fleshed out in there. And, and this is the immediate follow-up to Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. So immediately, people come to Christ, and then they are gathered together as a body, and they begin to be taught the Word of God. They begin to be taught the things of God. And so these people had gathered to hear what's happening. It's, it's the basic gospel message. Acts 2, 22 through 41 kind of blows it out. If you read all of that, it comes down to a very simple message that you see over and over and over again in the New Testament. And honestly, it's the same message for us today. It hasn't changed. It's a very simple thing. It tells us how to know Jesus and how to come into a relationship with him. It tells us the basic gospel message. Jesus was crucified. He died for our sins on a cross. He was buried. On the third day, he rose to life, conquering sin and death. And then he ascended to the right hand of God after walking with these eyewitnesses, these 500 people who had come. And, and he walked with them, and then he ascended. He is Lord. He is God. He is the creator of all things, and he is our king and master. And, and the call is to repent. Repent and turn to God. And then as you follow him, the first visible step into the entry of that group or into the kingdom of God, he said, Jesus would say, is, is to be baptized. He said, you know, he said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, teaching them to deserve all I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Why? Why do we baptize people? Not to make them saved, not to make them Christians, but it's a visible entry into the kingdom of God, into the people of God. It aligns us and joins us together. So it says that we are a people, we are a body that belong together. So this message is for all people. And, and so as it came in, it would also include the basic Old Testament that uh, formed the foundation Jesus built on with the disciples. So he took this and he showed how he fulfilled it and how to apply it to the people. And, and it would eventually become what we have as our Bible, all of it codified together. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5, the Apostle Paul, he just boils it down to this. He said, For I delivered to you as of first importance 
what I also received. So Paul said, this is it. This is the most important thing. The most important thing that I could give to you, I delivered it to you, what I also received. What was given to me, I am giving to you. He said that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He said, in other words, this was the plan of God from the very beginning. As you come in and you find this and you see it throughout the Old Testament, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. So we see this is the gospel message, and it's a message that we share. It's the foundation for everything in the life of the believer. In Acts chapter 17, you see this gathering. So as you come in and you, you blow it out a little bit more, when we come and we learn, it's also not just sitting and, and hearing as, as we come. And on Sunday mornings, you know, I, we, we have a worship service. We sing praises to God. We crack open the Word of God and we talk about the things of God and how they apply to our lives. And, and um, it's also engaging in that. It's not just a take it in. It's an engage with it. So as you come in and you sit in the seats, it's, it's an engagement. You're engaging with the Word of God. In Acts chapter 17, those who were attending the uh, synagogue there, they listened to the apostles. They were hearing the message of God. And then it tells us that daily they would go home and they would search the scriptures to see if what they were hearing was right. Now think about that a minute. It's easy to get led astray. It's easy to hear a message and go, wow, that just, that sounds great. It works. You know, it, it, um, it fits in with everything that, that I know to be real and right in the world or whatever. But unfortunately, sometimes everything that we know is something that we've been taught that's not biblical. It's our culture. It's, it's, it's who we are. And he said that they searched the scriptures to see if this stuff was right. They came and said, okay, tell me about this Messiah. Tell me about this coming Jesus. Tell me about what it means to follow him. Tell me if what you're saying is real and right according to the word of God that has been passed down through the ages. And a lot of times we think, well, the Old Testament, you know, we don't need the Old Testament. We're New Testament believers. Look, folks, the Old Testament is the foundation for the New Testament. Everything in the Bible from cover to cover applies to what we know. We come in and we learn. Yes, things have, have, have come in and look and Jesus has come in. We don't sacrifice animals or things like that because Jesus has become our sacrifice. But ultimately, you find the fulfillment of all of that stuff in him. So this is where it came down and it said that these people in Berea, they were described as being more noble than the Thessalonians. The people in Thessalonica said that they were just a bunch of derelicts. And, and they were causing trouble and, and so forth because they didn't want to apply things to the Word of God. So learning is not just hearing, it's also engaging. It's also being a part of what's going on. It's taking in the things that you hear and saying, you know what, I want to look through the Word of God and see what I heard on Sunday. Is it right? Is it right? And, and we should always challenge everything that we hear from any teacher is it according to the Word of God? Because if it's not according to the Word of God, it's worthless. It's just worthless. So then the next thing is, is engaging. So it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. They gathered for fellowship. They engaged one another. This means that they were holding something in common. Um, as you come in and you look at this word fellowship, it means this, this is something that we share that's common among us. And, 
and it's a brotherly agreement in this regard. It's a brotherly agreement on spiritual matters. Or it's, it's, it's saying that as we come together on Sundays, that we have a common agreement on the scriptures. For instance, the stuff that I said earlier, um, if I would have come in and said, you know, the Old Testament, ah, yeah, I don't, you know, and, and, and on and on, you would have been kind of looking at me cross-eyed and said, hold on now. And, and, and somebody would have grabbed me going out the deal and, and honestly you should have just stood up and said, liar, you know, because it's the word of God. But, but you come in and, and we engage because it's something that we hold in common. You come here and hold here because you believe the truths of the Bible, the way that we hold to those and teach those here. We engage with one another. We share a common bond in the faith. We share a common understanding of Jesus, a common understanding of salvation, a common understanding that the Word of God is true and right and applicable to our lives today, that the truth that's been passed down through the ages has not changed, and that our culture may try to change it, but the Word of God endures forever. And the things of God never change, and God never changes. And, and so His his desires for us and his plans and purposes for us are always something that we can know because we find them in the word of God. So this dovetails with learning and, and the things that the believers learned about Jesus were common beliefs that they shared among them. So this is a crucial aspect of fellowship. As, as you come into fellowship, you know, we have fellowship with one another because we have a common understanding of the word of God. And it's not uniformity doesn't mean that we're all exactly the same. As a matter of fact, you come in and sit down and say, well, tell me, you know, your understanding of the book of Revelation. And you go, oh, man, let's see. People are all over the page. And, and you know, that's not something that, uh, you know, they go, well, you know, I think this is this, you know, this dragon, this locust with the armor is this. And you're just kind of going, man, you know, I'm just kind of blown away by it all. But uh, coming in, and I'm thinking about going through that next, next year. But, um, but anyway, um, anyway, and I'm kind of excited about it. But, um, <clears throat> but anyway, anyway it's, these, these are just common things that we hold. It's a crucial aspect, it's, but it's not uniformity. It's an agreement on the foundations of the faith. It's an agreement on the foundations of the faith. We agree on some very foundational items. And so we come and, and then we go there. Um, a great example of that would be music, music styles. Now look, I'm just telling you, I would never want to be a music leader because no matter what you do, it's probably going to be wrong. Because music styles are always different. They're always, they're always changing. As a matter of fact, if, if you come in, I remember years and years ago, um, there was a lady in our church, Grace Herlocker, and she was tough as nails, man. I mean, she was one tough lady, and she was one of my best friends, and that was a good thing, um, because I wouldn't want her on my bad side, because she would have chewed me up and spit me out. But uh, she would come, if she had an issue with anything, she would come, her purse in hand, she would sit down with her pocketbook right there in the chair in my office, and she would say, look, I got a problem with this music. Those are exactly the thing. I got a problem with the, these guitars and this music. Why, why are we changing things? It's been good enough for all these years. I was like, oh man, this is, this is, this is going to be interesting. And I said, well, Grace, I said, what song are you talking about? And she listened. I go, you know, that song was written 
in 1930-something. You were, you were about the same age as these people were then. It was new to you, and you love it, and you still love it today. And I said, it's just new, new songs. There are songs that, that, that are new to a generation today, and, and every generation has new music. So we have a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and, and that's just kind of the way that it goes. But, but you kind of come in it and say, you know what, we're not going to divide over our musical styles or our musical tastes. It's just, that would be stupid, right? I mean, it's just because it's not something that's scriptural. It's just these are things that we just kind of <clears throat> liked because what really matters is the foundation. You know what's really important? And, and I've, had, I've had people in our church, senior adults, come and say, you know what, I don't like this, but I'm just telling you, people are being saved and coming to know Christ, and that's what I'm, in, that's what I'm about. I don't care. I may not like it, but I want to be where lives are being changed, young people are coming to Christ, and whatever it takes, I'll put my preferences behind. And you know what? I thank God to be a part of a church like that. I thank God to be a part of a people who will just say, you know what? I may not like some of the, the stuff that's just preference stuff. It may not be my preference. But what I'm, what I'm here for is the gospel. I'm here for the gospel. It's the foundational element. So we come and, and we learn and we engage with one another. It could also, as we come about engaging, it could also infer a sharing of goods, kind of a sharing. We see as we come down in here, it says that um, awe came upon every soul. Many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and they had all things in common. So it says that they shared things with each other. They took care of one another. And, and these are both aspects of Christian fellowship. Paul had this tremendous love for the church in Philippi. If you read through the book of Philippians, he talks about his love for these people. It's, it's like a love letter written to this church. And, and he says, you know what? You people love me so much. You cared for me. When, when you didn't have, you gave to me because you knew what I was doing. And you were so sold out for the gospel that you would sacrifice to help me when, when, when it was a sacrifice to you to do so. And, and they gave help to him and his companions to take the gospel to Corinth. And they gave out of their poverty, not their excess. The scriptures say that they gave out of what they didn't have, not what they did have. They didn't give their leftovers. They gave the very essence of who they were. And, and Paul holds him up, up as a picture of fellowship. And one day when, when we're in heaven, we'll see these people and we'll see, you know what, and they'll be sharing, you know what, this is, this is what it costs me. But look at what I've got here. Look at what I've got for eternity. So they have this look and, and this desire. And, and so he holds them up as a picture of fellowship. In 2 Corinthians 8, 5, he says, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So it's also about being engaged in each other's trials and victories. Fellowship is not just helping one another out. In our church over the years, we've helped a lot of people out in a lot of different ways when people had needs or, or so forth. But, um, but it's also being engaged in each other's trials and victories. In 1 Corinthians 12, 26, says, if one member suffers, if one person in the church suffers, everybody suffers together. Everybody suffers together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, it's easy to suffer with those who suffer. It's easy to mourn with those who mourn, to weep with those who weep, and, and so forth. It also says that we celebrate the victories, that, that when somebody else wins, that we celebrate 
with them. For instance, um, a, um, not this Friday, but next Friday, I think it is, we've got this men's thing happening. And, and at this men's thing, it's, it's going to be a bow shoot at the, at the simulator place in, in Soldatna. And, and so we're going we're gonna to get together and, and invite guys to come and, and do this, and somebody's going to win. That'll be me, but, but, you know, but Don Drury told me that he was going to win shooting my bow, and what he doesn't know is that before I give it to him, I'm just going to twist the sights a little bit, but, um, but you know, no, no secret, and, and we'll talk a lot of smack, but, but we'll rejoice with each other with whoever wins, you know, we'll, we'll kind of rejoice, but it's a little harder to rejoice with those who rejoice, you know, kind of in that regard, but you know what, when you, when you look more at the bigger things, when God does something great in our lives, we do rejoice together, don't we? Um, shooting a bow, that's just stupid stuff. But, but, but it's fun. But, but, um, but the things that really matter in life, you know what? The things that really matter in life, like when um, people have a celebration in their family, God does something great, and, and you come in and you celebrate together. When we see someone come to Christ whom we've prayed for, for years and years and years, we celebrate that together. We don't come in and go, oh man, I wish that had been my person I was praying for. Why God always help them out or something? No, we don't, that, that'd be dumb, you know? But, but we just come in and we celebrate together. Why? Because it matters. It matters. These are the things that matter. So it's hurting alongside those in our fellowship who are hurting. Life's gone sideways, and they just need someone to come along beside them and comfort them, maybe just be there and sit with them, not say a word, maybe pray with them, whatever it might look like. It's also celebrating the wins. So fellowship means that we share a common faith and that we're committed to each other. That's what it is. So it is engaging each other. It's learning. It's engaging. The next thing is sharing. It says, to the breaking of bread. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and then the next thing is to the breaking of bread. So it is sharing. It is sharing life together. The breaking of bread is, is most likely a reference to what we call the Lord's Supper, what we call our communion. That, that would be one thing. But it could also very well indicate that they shared a meal together as well, which is probably fairly um, is probably highly probable as well. In Acts 2, 46 and 47, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So they broke bread in their homes. This shared meal in Jewish culture was known as the love feast. So you can see this in, in other places in the New Testament. In, in Corinth, it said that they were, they were doing this in the wrong way. There were people who had a lot, and they weren't sharing with the people who had a little. Fellowship had gone run amok. You know, it, it'd be like if you came to the potluck, and, and you took your dish, you know, because it was really good, and you hid it so nobody else could have any of it. <clears throat> So that's kind of what it would be like. And, and you may have thought about that a time or two, but, but that's wrong. That's sin. That is sin. And, and what you do is you always go to the dessert table first. So that's, that's the way that it works. Just, I, yeah, yeah. It's right in the book of First Hezekiah. 
Um, <clears throat> so, so you look that up. Um, no, I'm just joking. Um, anyway, it says they were, they were doing this. They broke bread in their homes. And, and so here, here it describes this, um, this, this love feast in, in uh, I think it's the Holman Bible Dictionary. It says, um, the origin of the love feast is probably to be found in the religious fellowship meals, a common practice among first century Jews. While the Passover meal is the most familiar of these, such meals were also celebrated to inaugurate the Sabbath and festival days. On these occasions, a family or a group of friends who had banded together for purposes of special devotion, known as Chiboroth, from the Hebrew word for friends, would gather together weekly before sundown, for a meal in the home or another suitable place. After hors d'oeuvres were served, the company would move to the table for the meal proper. The host would pronounce a blessing, a thanksgiving to God, break the bread, and distribute it among the participants. You see this when you see the, 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 um, the pictures of Jesus coming. They gathered together. Jesus took bread. He broke it and gave thanks. This is one of these types of things. So they would, they would do that. So they would... They would break bread, distributed among the participants. The mealtime would be characterized by festive, joyous, religious discussion. So as they sat around the table, they would discuss the things of God. They would discuss the things that matter. They would discuss the things of, of their journey with God. And, and then as nightfall, at nightfall, lamps were lit and a benediction recited, acknowledging God as the creator of light. When the meal was over, Hands were washed and a final benediction pronounced over the cup of blessing that we see in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. Praising God for his provision and praying for the fulfillment of his purposes in the coming of his kingdom. The meal was concluded by the singing of a psalm. It was not uncommon for small groups of friends to gather together weekly for such means so this is what this is what when you go back and you look historically what's talking about when they're coming in they would come together and they would share a meal together and they would talk about the things of God sometimes in some of our small groups they they have a meal together and then they will discuss the things in the word of God that's what we're doing in these groups is is that and um, you know you come to my group you eat cookies but you know not a full-blown meal but, but anyway, um, if, if you're looking, you know, for the groups with meals, you'll have to ask around. But, but they would join around the table, but the cookies are good. Um, but this is a part of their faith, and it's used as a reminder of God's provision. So they would come in, and they would gather together and share life together, and, and, and they would have this setting that was close with one another, close fellowship. And, and so we grow as we share the, the things that God has done and celebrate his blessing we we grow it's it's a time of growth as we celebrate what god has done in our lives and and it's also a time of blessing so we can pray for one another we can pray for the hurts of the people in our group we can encourage them we can strengthen them we can help them um, and and we come along and and then we are participating in life together and then the final thing it says the prayers so they came they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So these are the things 
that they're talking about. The, the final thing is praying. They came together and they prayed. And this prayer probably refers to formal prayers that the Jewish people practiced. They had formal prayers that they would recite, um, as in this mealtime, they would recite this psalm or so forth. It, it um, could also be Christian prayers and, and prayers that they would have in their meetings. There are many references in, in the book of Acts to prayer, and, and that'll be in your group discussion as you come along with that. But, um, but as well as the gospel. So Jesus also set the example for us in prayer when, by, when he would often go and spend time alone in prayer. He would spend time not just praying with others, but time praying alone with God. So they were devoted to the prayers. And Luke 5, 16 says, but Jesus would withdraw to desolate places in prayer. Mark 1, 35, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. These were private prayers, but we're also called to pray for one another. We're called to pray privately, but we're also called to pray corporately together. As we pray during this service today, we will pray in, in James chapter 5, 16. There's a whole nother level of it that goes beyond what, what would happen in this room. But, but this is, James says in 5, 16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And, and this is saying, you know what? This is someone that you're close to and, and that you're willing to open up to and say, you know what? This is my struggle. This is my sin that I am fighting to conquer. And I need to, to acknowledge it. I've acknowledged it before God, but I'm acknowledging it before you because I trust you and I believe that you'll hold this in confidence and that you'll pray for me and that you will encourage me and strengthen me and help me be and be a part of the process that God is using to move me to a new level with him, to a new place, to, to move beyond what is in my past into the future that God has prepared for me. So, that, that is how James would describe it. So praying for each other and, and praying together builds us up and engages us with God as we seek Him, as we come in and, and we see that. And, and so these prayers also resulted in praise. In verse 47 it says, And they were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. This, this is an amazing passage of Scripture. I mean, if you come in and, and you look, verse 42 basically outlines the whole thing. Everything in, in through 42 to 47 you see in verse 42. And then they, they just come and Luke blows it out a little bit. In 43 to 47 it says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing what God was doing during that time. They were seeing amazing things happen and and it says and all who believed were together and had all things in common they loved each other tremendously and if there was someone without they helped them and by the way in their culture in that day to become a follower of jesus could mean that you lost your job you lost your family you lost all your friends you lost everything you were ostracized and and you became a cult member and, and they were willing to turn aside everything. There are people today in our world, who, it's the same thing for them. As, as they would come in, if, say if they, you were in a Muslim country and you turned to follow Jesus, you're done. You're done. So as you come into the body, it said, you know what they did? They took care of those people. They said, you know what? 
you are now in our family. You're in the family of God. You're in the family of the people of God. And we care for you. And we will make sure that your basic needs are met. You will have food. You will have shelter. We will care for you. And, and so it says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had needs. So they, they would said, you know, hey, we're going to have a garage sale, you know. And, and we're going to help some people out. So this is what they did. And it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. As people looked upon this, they were drawn to it. They're drawn to that. And, and people are drawn to us when we love the way that Jesus loved us and, and the way that he does love us today. And, and people are drawn to that. And it says that the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. So praying together not only connects our hearts, it focuses us on the things of God and the kingdom of God. And, and so as we come in and, and look at this and look at what, it, what did it mean to be a church? What, how did this flesh out right in the very beginning? And, and what, are the, what are the components of that? One of the components is, is that people meet together in small groups. They met in, in homes. And, and our hope um, is that you will be a part of this, that you'll try it out for six weeks. You'll say, you know what, I'll give it a shot. I will look in and, and see if I can um, do that and see what happens. And everything that we do over the next six weeks will tie in to, to what is done on Sunday. will tie into what happens in your group. It's a time to talk about it, to discuss it, and look at how it applies and, and how we can encourage one another, build each other up, strengthen one another, be the body of Christ to do life together as we've been called as followers of Jesus. So I want to encourage you to pray about that, to say, you know what, there, there's a group, it's six weeks. I'm not asking you to commit for life. Just give it six weeks and see See if that is something that um, isn't a blessing in your life, something that doesn't build you up and strengthen you and help you grow in your faith. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for the life that we have in Christ, for the hope that you've given to us in him. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth that's contained in it, for the hope that we have in the gospel, a hope that's not based on us and our good works, but it's based on Jesus and what he did on our behalf when he died on the cross, gave his life for us and conquered sin and death. Father, we pray that as your people here today, that we would be drawn closer and closer to you, that we'd understand the need that we have, not just for salvation, but that we have for each other as members of the body of Christ that we have things to share with each other, to build each other up, to strengthen one another, to encourage each other, to, to be there for one another. Help us, Lord, to be the people in the church that you've called us to be. And Father, we pray that we would see people day after day after day being saved and coming into the kingdom of God. Lives changed, homes changed, and seeing you exalted in everything that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as Greg leads us?